Well, good morning. Um, yes, as Matt said and Joseph, my name's Cameron, and uh, it's so good to be with you. How exciting uh, the sounds of construction. That is, is good. And we'll try to minimize those on Sundays so that it doesn't get too distracting during the service. But it is great to be here with you. And as Matt also said, we are continuing in the series on the kingdom. And um, man, I just love it. And if you caught last week, Matt said, Jesus talks about one thing more than anything else. Anybody remember what that? The kingdom talks about the kingdom. And so when we think about Jesus, in some ways we should be thinking about the kingdom, the message. What is it? What is the message of the kingdom? And so, um, along with all the other things that, that we're going to cover, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is, is specifically looking at the way of the kingdom, the way of Jesus. And so we're going to explore that a little bit this week as we dive into Matthew chapter 5. But first, a story. About eight months ago, we're driving down the street, and my wife and I, we were in two separate cars. I don't know why. Sometimes from my in-law's house, we're driving two separate cars, and we're about a, a minute and a half from our home, and, and I get a call from my wife. She says, stop! Turn around! So like any good husband does, I pulled over, <laughs> said, okay, let's turn around. What are you talking about? She's like, did you not see that? Obviously, I didn't. I where I would say, yes, um, but no, I didn't. What's going on? And so she turned around. She said, follow me. And so we pull back around, and on the side of the street, with a sign that says free, is this old beat-up dresser. <laughs> this? This is why we turned around? Yeah. It's perfect, she said. It's perfect. I said, I would beg to differ. <laughs> it was, I don't know that it's perfect. And, and, but it was beat up and it was on the side of the road. And my wife has a way of seeing the potential in things like that. This old beat up dresser, she said, oh, it's going to be perfect for Amelie's room. And yes, okay, so what, like, what are we going to do? And I look at her and she's like eight months pregnant. You know, Okay, this means I have to pick up this enormous dresser, put it in the back of my car. Somehow we did. It was sticking out like this far from the back of my car. So we had to drive like five miles an hour home. And, uh, but we got this dresser. And, and my point being that sometimes some people see the world a little bit differently. They see the potential in things that we often would discard or throw away. And it reminded me about, has anybody heard of Tim Noble and Sue Webster, artists? Anybody? Probably not. I was taking a guess that nobody would have heard of them before. But they are artists, and they do these sculptures. And uh, a number of years ago, that what, you, what you would do is you would walk into the art show, and you would see kind of what they have there. And, and so here's a picture of, of one of their sculptures. Uh, so there's this table, and it looks like just a bunch of trash, right? You're like looking at it like, what am I supposed to see here? Um, and it's all this trash has been shot through with like BB gun pellets and things like that. And so like cans and trash, and you're looking at it, you're like, what is going on? And then you take a step forward, and the light shines on it. And then next picture, Sunset over Manhattan. Isn't that cool? <laughs> the vehicle of trash can be a vehicle of beauty. What we perceive as trash 
can become a vehicle of beauty, like the dresser, like this. There are times in the world where we look at things and we say, oh, well, that, like, that, that looks like trash. Like, what's going on there? But there's something God is working behind the scenes. And I love these images because as we approach the Sermon on the Mount, as we approach um, what we're going to dive into here in a, a couple seconds, I think it's so helpful for us to have these images in the back of our mind because God looked down at the world that was broken and hurting, discarded. There's a long series of silence and, and God had tried to work through his people to bring good news at different times and in different ways. And it, it, the, the plan, it just, it didn't work. So Jesus arrives he enters in, moves into the neighborhood, as Matt said last week. He moves in and he announces this new thing, this kingdom. Repent, turn around, look, pay attention. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so Jesus starts to get these followers. And it's in the middle of the day. So you, who would you expect in the middle of the working day to listen to this itinerant preacher? You're like, Okay, who's showing up? These crowds are starting to gather. And it's not the elite, and it's not the wealthy, and it's not the, the religious people. And Matthew 5 opens with this. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So he's seeing these crowds come to him. People are hearing, like, what is this? And so we get to the Sermon on the Mount, which is basically Jesus' announcement of teaching. We find out earlier in chapter 4 that Jesus says he, he, he's going to be teaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So here it is. Are you ready? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is not what anybody was expecting. Blessed are the poor? Blessed are the poor in spirit? Like, Jesus, are you, are you serious? And as Jesus is talking to this crowd, he's not saying you should be poor in spirit. That's not, nobody wants to be in poverty, spiritual poverty. But he's saying if you're spiritually needy, if you're the least likely to be called on in a prayer service, if you're showing up on a Sunday broken and hurting, cast aside, and you're like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. I don't even feel comfortable in this place. Pay attention. He says the kingdom of heaven is yours. And in this moment, as he'll go through these, these other beatitudes, comes from the Latin blessed, beatus. He says, I'm swinging the doors wide open. And what you perceived as the people who are least likely to carry the good news of the kingdom, I'm going to empower them to bring my kingdom message to the world. So he goes on before he gives a vision of what this looks like. He continues, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Have you lost something near and dear to you? Have you experienced grief or death? Death of a relationship? Death of a family member? Of a child? Good news. Even in your darkest hours, the kingdom of heaven is coming. And it's a kingdom of comfort. Blessed are the meek, 
Are you gentle in your path to life or do you try to force your way through life? He said, if, if you are patient and endure in the midst of trial and you are, you're not gonna force your way, you're just gonna let the world move forward. He said, you're blessed because the kingdom of, of God is not very far. The kingdom of God needs people who are not just going to force their way, who are going to be shaped and molded by my kind of power. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Is anybody hungry? Every night I hear my son knock say, I'm starving. Like, you have no idea. I think the words that Jesus uses here, he's talking about real hunger, real thirst. You look out at the world and you see it's not as it should be. And you crave the world to be made right through God's justice and way. So he's setting the template. He goes through the merciful, pure in heart, the peacemakers. That one always confused, like blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah, blessed are you when you insert yourself into conflict to try to bring peace. That's not a desirable position. You're just going to get the flaming arrows of the two people going at an argument together. Yes, we should desire peace. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying, that those who are showing up on the mountainside, who have been cast aside, who are mourning, who are seeking a better way, justice. Like my heart yearns for, I look out at the world and I see that people are hurting. I'm hurting. He says, good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And I'm inviting you. When Jesus looked at a world broken and hurting, he saw the potential for those very kinds of people to bring the good news of the kingdom to every corner of the world. We're invited. And I think this is the greatest endorsement of the kingdom, in my opinion, is that somehow, in the midst of my failure, in the midst of my bad decisions, in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my brokenness, God wants me. And he wants to use my brokenness and my hurting to empower the world to follow him. Like, he doesn't look to the elite or the put together. He starts his announcement by saying, you're blessed because the kingdom of heaven is here and I'm looking to you. And so he paints this vision. You turn uh, in Matthew 5 to the next verse. Verse 13, after the Beatitudes, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And you, now he's saying this you, you are the salt. You, this is plural. And first service I said, it's kind of like saying y'all. But then I was corrected that in North Carolina, y'all is singular. So it's, <laughs> All y'all, all, all y'all are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. All y'all are the salt of the earth. All y'all are the light of the world. And you're saying, wait, not me. Like, it can't be because 
You don't know my past. You don't know my track record. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I just went through. And he says, watch me work. And I think when you would have heard this at the time, I think it's important for us to dive in. Like, what, what are these metaphors? Salt. Salt seasons. And no matter what you're eating, salt, what, it's, what it does is if you sprinkle it on your food, not pour it on your food like my son Knox, I swear he has like a salt deficiency because he just eats spoonfuls of this stuff. It's disgusting. <laughs> but salt should be sprinkled. Then it enhances the flavor. You don't really taste the salt. You taste the food, only better. All y'all are the salt of the earth. It preserves. At the time, you would have had, you know, your fish or your food that you wanted to keep for a little while or a lamb, you know, it's, it's Sabbath and we need to keep, preserve this lamb for next week so we have sandwiches. That's what they would have been thinking about. Let's preserve. And in the same way, I think Jesus is saying the kingdom needs to be preserved by people who are willing and open to be led by King Jesus. Oh, y'all are the salt. And salt nourishes. And we don't think about this, but it's a primary part of our, our, like we need it, our nourishment as humans. We need it in our diet. And if we don't have salt, weird things start happening to the body. And in fact, dogs and animals, when they, when they have, when they're malnourished, they will seek out and find things that are salty to nourish and provide for them until they can find food. In the same way, salt, the kingdom, is salt, and it's supposed to be good news. It's supposed to nourish the world. All y'all are the salt of the earth. Let's light. I love this other metaphor. Light. And this one's obvious. Light illuminates. What happens when you turn on the light? It drives out darkness. No darkness can exist where light is present. And if you had a room with a closet in it that's dark and you open the closet, does the dark flood out of that closet into the room and overtake the light? No. The light of the room overtakes the darkness of the closet and drives out the darkness so that now everything's illuminated. In the same way, Jesus' kingdom is light to us. It illuminates our hearts and minds. He goes on to say, in John, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus models that light to us and calls us to model that to the world. Light provides color. Uh, this morning I got up before my, anybody else in the family was up and I was getting ready. And have you ever done that where you like put on a shirt and you're like, oh, that's not the right shirt. <laughs> it's the wrong color, you know? And that's why I'm wearing this color today, I guess. I forgot to wear my black shirt. No, but light needs, or color needs light in order to be color. It's not colorful if it doesn't have light. And so when you bring light into something, you all of a sudden you have color, and it's rich. Light generates life and energy. I love this because, have you heard of photosynthesis? You remember that from like middle school, like learning about 
biology and photosynthesis and plants need light in order to make food and nourish themselves. Light gives life to trees and plants and God's good creation. But in the same way, and, and scientists could explain this way better than, than I do, but there's these electromagnetic waves and light. And when you shine a light, these waves get sent through the air and they interact with these particles. And there's this energy. These particles start moving because they're interacting with the waves of the light. In the same way, the words of Jesus here, blessed are you when you're at your worst, when you're needy, when you're hurting. These words are electric. You are the light of the world. And my light brings energy and life so that you can bring energy and life to the world as well. And then light, lastly, it purifies. And um, if you've ever, you know, gone camping, you know that if you put water in a, in a water bottle, like you can, there's a way that you can purify it with light. And this light become, begins to purify us. And, and that's why a lot of times in the Bible, they would talk about like God shows up and it's just this bright light. You just don't know. It's so pure. So pure white. In the same way, he, he blots out our darkness. He purifies us so that we, in turn, can bring his purity, his presence, his wholeness, his love to the world. You see, you are vitally important to the kingdom. You and all of your baggage, all of the mess, everything that gets discarded off to the side, all of us are important and vital to the kingdom. You're the salt. All y'all are the light. That's the vision, and it's beautiful, right? It's a beautiful vision, and that's the church. That's what the church should be. That's what we should be going into the world every day, pointing people to the good news of the kingdom by being Salt seasoning in the world, wherever that, and it's seasoned, you know, it's sprinkled. We don't all go out at once, rarely. Do I see all of you go to the same restaurant for brunch, you know, after church? But like, we go to wherever we are, and we're the light. I love it. So Jesus continues. So that's the vision. What are the means? How does this happen? What does this look like? How do we become salt and light? And Jesus says this. In the same way, let your light, here's the singular, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is going to go on through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to continue to explore this in the weeks ahead. What, like, what are his teachings? What does this look like for us to obey and, and dive into it and wrestle with it? The point is this, he's opened the door, he's invited you in, and he's saying, what I really want you to do is to let your actions match your heart. As you begin to encounter the kingdom, may you go out into the world and do simple, random acts of kindness and love, not for your own sake, but for my sake. So that people would look at the good things, the good ways that you treat your neighbors, how you forgive and reconcile, and they would see your Father in heaven. So the way of the kingdom is good love, or love and good deeds. And here's a couple of things that I thought about when I was thinking about good deeds. What, 
What are good deeds when we think about them? Number one, they begin in the heart. Jesus goes on to say, you know, your mouth speaks what's in your heart. It comes out. In the same way, our good deeds come out of our heart. If we see the world with compassion, if we see the world hurting, if we have the possibility and the perception to see a world that's hurting, we'll do something about it. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit because they will bring good deeds to those around them who are also in poverty. Good deeds require creativity. I love this because they look different to different people and to different circumstances. How you show good deeds to your next door neighbor would be different than how you show good deeds to somebody in Lebanon in the midst of the Syrian crisis. It looks different and it requires us to think about the needs in the world in which we see. How can I engage that? How can I be a part of what's going on in the world? Take time, think about it and look, pay attention. God is using you, your gifts in creative ways. Good deeds are inspired by community. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard from all y'all doing this, being light and salt in the world. And it, and it brings electricity, energy. I was just talking to somebody the other day about uh, somebody a number of years ago had a dream about a children's area. And they wanted to give, they had been blessed generously and they wanted to give a little bit of money so we would have a children's area out here. And now that he's gone, He's with our father. We still have an area that's become a part of our culture to let kids play on the playground right after church. It reverberates. It's inspiring. I was thinking about my friend Yvonne who just in the last few weeks has accepted Jesus into his life. And he told me (laughs) the other day, he said, I can't stop talking about Jesus. Everywhere I go, I can't stop talking about Jesus. It's inspiring when we hear of people who are encountering the kingdom and being transformed by the kingdom. Good deeds point to God. Their ultimate motivation is secret, you know, inside of us, like I said, in the heart. But it's not about me. It's not about puffing myself up. It's not about self-gratifying. It's about gratifying my father. And I, I'm going to say this as a word of warning as you go into this week and you think about the good deeds that you can do, the way you can love the world around you. Don't pour the salt. Don't do the God card. Say, I'm doing this for you because of God. You know, sometimes that's necessary. And we need to do that. We need to talk about the love that we have. But often that's best in, in a relationship over time. Just do the good deeds. Do them in secret for God. And I know that God will use those good things to grow his kingdom. And over time, you can talk about, the the, the reason I'm doing this is because God found me broken and hurting on the side of the road and he saw the potential in me and he wanted to use me for his goodness and his life. And so I wanted to pass that forward to you. And those good deeds will reverberate. You think about the fact that Jesus sat on his last hours with 12 men. And from those 12 men, somehow the church grew and grew and grew and grew to every corner of the world. 
through their willingness to do good deeds and to follow in obedience the teachings of the way of Jesus. Deeds are not our way to God. They're not something we can do to earn his approval. But once we've seen God, once we've experienced his goodness through his son Jesus, good deeds become the character of a follower of Jesus. I don't good, do good deeds. They don't start to feel uh, like deeds anymore. They feel like it's just part of my life. It's part of living. So he gives us this idea, this concept, do good deeds. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Don will continue to dive into the Sermon on the Mount next week, but at, toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, which I think just sums it up, this little quip that has become, he was the first person to say this. Since then, so many people have, have talked about, this is, this is the ethics of, of a world. This is the ethic of the kingdom. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law, the Torah, and the prophets. So in everything, in every circumstance, in every situation, in every relationship, in the back of our minds, we should be thinking, how do I love that person in this moment? How do I enter into the humanity of who they are and bring goodness to them? How do I season this conversation in a way that points to the love that I've experienced through Jesus? How do I illuminate the world, the darkest parts of the world? How in my, in my marriage do I think about my wife or my husband in compassion and be there for them in the way that they need me to be there for them in the way that I would want to be there for me? It's so simple yet so profound. It's the great ethic of the way of the kingdom. The king is Jesus. The people are all y'all. And the way is the way of love and good deeds thinking about others in the way Jesus has loved us. So as we kind of land the plane, I thought this, this quote by N.T. Wright was so good. God's way of running things is to share his power, to work through his image bearers, that's you, and to invite their glad and free collaboration in his project. It's good news. And it's ongoing. His project is still in the works. And so you have an opportunity to jump in and to live in the way of Jesus by thinking about others with compassion and love and generosity. What does that look like for me? And my hope and my prayer is that wherever that sits for you, that you'll think about Practically speaking, how do I live that out? And you'll get around in the circle with others this week and talk about, like, how do I do good deeds in, in where I work or in my family? What does it look like for us as a family to do good deeds for other families that don't know Jesus? What does it look like for me to enter into the way of the kingdom? And ultimately, Jesus showed us. It's by laying down your life. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for you. He showed us what the kingdom life really looks like 
It's giving up our will, our way, and asking this prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done in and through me in the world as you need it. Because I want to be a light. I want to be a salt to those around me. And it's only through Jesus that we find the energy and the ability to go into the world and to give them exactly what they need.